Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm. He's a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisory Group, uh, which is based in Lexington, Massachusetts. He is an expert on self-directed IRAs and also alternative investments. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jordan. Just give us your history a little bit and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. No, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, I started in the industry in December of 99. So I think if anybody here remembers, they can probably remember that was the peak of the market. And I, uh, I learned risk management really quickly because the market pretty much went straight down for a few years. Um, so after working in the, in the wirehouse channel, I actually went over to um, an independent broker dealer and then ended up starting this firm about 12 years ago because primarily what we're looking for is we're looking to really find the best way to invest for people. And, you know, sometimes that includes things outside of the stock market. So that's really what, kind of why we started this firm and really as, as kind of experts in self-directed IRAs and alternatives, um, we just find that there's, there's a lot more interesting investments there than just in the stock market. So tell us what you do for your clients at Innovative Wealth. Yeah, so we're fiduciaries. We're wealth managers. So we manage their portfolio. You know, we provide financial planning. Uh, really just kind of the way we look at it is we provide oversight and guidance for anything that affects their life financially. Um, you know, but we just are not restricted by just the stock market, you know, uh, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, things like that. So really we kind of take a holistic look for our clients and really try to figure out what makes the most sense for them. So you become an expert in self-directed IRAs. We're going to get into the details of them, but in general, why should people open a self-directed IRA instead of a traditional IRA, which doesn't have as many investment choices? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll say that, um, one of the common misperceptions is that self-directed IRAs are different. And actually, self-directed IRAs are the same as a regular IRA. Um, the, the IRS code is actually no different, or the Internal Revenue Code is really no different. Uh, every IRA is self-directed. What is different is actually the custodian. So if you go to your TD, Schwab, Fidelities of the world, and you say, hey, I want to invest in a horse in my IRA, They'll, they'll look at you funny because they don't, they don't provide that. And they probably couldn't do that if you asked them to. I think if you had enough money, they might try. But really, they don't specialize in that. They're really good at the traditional investments. Now, there are other custodians that specialize in alternative investments. Um, there's really no difference. They can also provide traditional investments, but they've decided to specialize in alternatives. So really the difference is the custodian that you use because the, the assets are allowed in any IRA that you can hold. Uh, there are really only certain assets that you can't hold. Um, otherwise, you can pretty much invest in anything in any IRA. Why don't the traditional custodians like a Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab have a separate division that does alternative assets as well in self-directed IRAs? Well, that's a good question, too. Uh, I'm going to speculate because I can't read their mind, but I would imagine that it has something to do with uh, profitability and specialization. So I know that if you have enough money, you probably have like nine figures. I'm sure you could get them to maybe try it. Um, and I believe that there are some parts of those divisions where it's possible in some ways, but not in all ways. I, I think part of its specialization um, the other part of it, too, is there's, in any given year, there's between 4 and 6% of IRA assets are actually held in alternatives. So it's actually a very small market for them. When you think about the trillions of dollars that are held in retirement accounts and how much of that is in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds versus alternatives, there's probably a good reason why they don't specialize. And if you, you want to understand why people don't I'd say maybe 10% or less of the population is even aware this is possible. And one of the reasons is, because the big firms advertise, you know, the big wirehouses of, of, of the industry, they advertise and they're not going to advertise something that they don't do. And these other firms that specialize in alternatives, they don't advertise or they do advertise, but not as much. You probably have never heard of this. So in many ways, that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's not, there's nothing nefarious. It's just they're, they're promoting their own interests and that's, that's what people have gravitated towards. From a portfolio diversification point of view, what kind of extra return can you get and how does it affect your risk profile 
if you have some portion, 10% or so, say, in alternatives versus just only having traditional stocks, bonds, and funds? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of common mis, mis, uh, misperceptions around this. So the industry itself has taught us all for decades that it's really important to diversify to, to reduce your risk. And I would agree with that. I think that 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 sentiment is valid. However, what if you really dig into the details of that, what they really say is that diversification with a portfolio of low to non or even even inverse correlated assets is what will help you have a lower risk portfolio with a smoother ride. That's really what they've said. The problem is is since I'd say the mid 2000s uh, the, the correlations in the markets have actually gone close to each other. So back in 2001, I read an article about Timberland. Now, Timberland uh, is something that uh, for the last 15 years, institutions have been trying to get access to because it had as close to zero correlation to the public markets as anything I've seen. That was back in 2001. If you look back, if you look at it now, it has a pretty close correlation to the S&P. Why? Well, that's a good question because we actually did some research in uh, 2006, 7, and 8 uh, with a lot of these alternatives. And what we found out was when they're not owned by institutions, they're low correlation. As soon as the institutions start acquiring them, they tend to correlate them. So that is my suspicion based on looking at a bunch of alternatives. As soon as the institutions buy them, they become correlated, which means they're losing their advantage of being alternatives. So, go ahead. I don't explain, understand why that would be. Just because institutions own them, why would that mean Timberland would track the performance of the S&P 500 just because the ownership has changed from individuals to institutions? Well, uh, good question. So, if you think about real estate, real estate in the early to mid-2000s became more widely owned for obvious reasons. Everybody thought real estate's going up forever and never goes down. And if you look at some of the big pension funds, some of the big institutions, they started increasing their real estate exposure. Um, and what happened after that, real estate dropped. And then a number of these uh, pension funds and institutions end up selling their real estate. Well, think of just let's let's remove the alternative piece for a moment. Let's just look at a stock, right? Let's say one of the big Fang stocks, and I, for compliance reasons, I can't probably name names, yeah, but yep. let's just say um, one of the big Fang stocks, and you probably all know what they are. Yep. Um, when let's say those are stable, let's say it's a good company, it's well run, nobody's arguing that. Well, when a when a um, when the stock market starts to sell off, when you start to have what I call contagion, um, take the oil oil markets back in 2015-16 when the, we're arguing with Russia and, and that whole thing. Well, when oil prices started to, to collapse, what happened is oil prices started to collapse, then these oil company equity start, prices started to collapse, then their bonds started to collapse. Everything started to correlate when there's a sell-off. This didn't used to happen decades ago, but it happens a lot now. So what happens is people realize they have to sell their oil stocks. Well, okay, they can't really sell their oil stocks because they've already declined a significant amount. So let's find something else I can sell instead. Oh, well, let's take one of these FANG stocks. They're still doing well. Let me sell off some of that. Well, that starts to pull down the price of those stocks. And then they go to other things. So it's it's a I call it a contagion effect because it starts in one area and then it spreads out slowly to other assets because it's not because they want to sell those assets. It's because they have no other choice. They need liquidity. They need cash. And in order to do that, they sell anything that's liquid. And high yield bonds, if anyone remembers back then, they were frozen. Right. Three days in a row, three separate funds froze up. So you have you can't sell that. So you have to sell something else. So that's why they correlate is because they become institutionally owned, and if they have to sell something, they sell whatever they can. We're going to go into some of the alternative investments later. But are you saying in general, for individuals, it would be better to buy some of the alternatives that are not that heavily owned by institutions at this point to uh, not get that correlation effect? If you're looking to get a portfolio with low correlation and well diversified, that would be that would be ideal. The problem is it's really hard to find those nowadays. So you really just have to understand what you're owning. And quite frankly, some of the best assets that I've seen are assets that people know best. 
And as we get into this, I'll talk a little bit about it. But, you know, the ones that tend to correlate are things that are put into funds as opposed to, as opposed to individually owned. But the ones individually owned tend to correlate a little bit less. Is there some way of finding out what percentage of institutional ownership there is in the various alternatives? Uh, there is, but it's going to require a lot of effort. I mean, it took me a lot of effort just to acquire institutional data on Timberland, Managed Futures. Um, you got private equity, you got hedge funds, you have a lot of these quote-unquote alternative assets that people are gravitating towards. You can find it, but it just takes a little bit of effort to see you know, how much of it's owned. We, we, did a, we did a study. It took us a few months, so, but it was worth it. It's not something the average person could really do then, you're saying? They can, but they probably, it's probably going to be a lot of work for them. I would say, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this after the, after the break, but I would say the, um, the way I would look at it is, you know, the, if, if you know somebody's making a good amount of money investing in horses, that doesn't mean you should. You should find something you know well. If you know horses well, you shouldn't invest in diamond mines. you got to find an asset that you know well and invest there. That, from my standpoint, is what people tend to find the most successful investments are that. So using your own knowledge and familiarity will help you do well at a particular investment. Yeah, I mean, Peter Lynch said it. Invest in what you know. Exactly. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm. Uh, He's a well-known pioneer in the wealth management industry. He's an expert on self-directed IRAs and alternative investments. You can find out more about him and his work at InnovativeWealth.com. We'll be back after this. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO, like Beyond Meat or others that have been bought by big companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Their in-depth due diligence includes meeting with management teams and generally comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to make part of their own portfolio. Once our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers and review the current deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate in a deal. After you review deals, you have access to our crowd's investor relations team where you can talk directly on the phone about your personal investment goals. The investment professionals at our crowd have already reviewed thousands of companies, invested hundreds of millions of dollars, closed investments in over 200 companies, and chosen dozens of companies that have made exits. Accredited investors can participate in single company deals for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Memic. Memic explains that their tiny robotics allow surgeons to be less invasive and safely perform gynecological surgeries so women heal faster and have less scarring. Memic is a much-needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. You can get an early on Memic and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The our crowd account is free, so just go to ourcrow.com/answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, "I told you so." The guy in 1991 who said to you, "Invest in the internet. It's going to be huge." Or the guy in 1997 who said, "Come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media." And the guy in 2009 who said, "I'm telling you, man, crypto is real." Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so, but I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. 
That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm. He's a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisory Group based in Lexington, Massachusetts. He is an expert on self-directed IRAs and alternative investments. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me back, Jordan. So you have a quick start guide to self-directed IRAs, and in there you have what you call the self-directed IRA roadmap. So let's just kind of briefly go through how that works so people can understand what it takes to open a uh, self-directed IRA. The first one is just to learn the terminology of it. So what are some of the terms people need to know about uh, self-directed IRAs that are unusual? Yeah, so there's a lot of terms in there, and I think this is this is where a lot of people get confused. So there's terms like the term self-directed IRA and what it actually means. Um, a prohibited transaction, that would be probably the one thing that everybody needs to understand. Um, I can go into that a little bit, but basically okay. prohib- what a prohibited transaction is, is it's something that you do that causes your IRA to effectively be invalidated or to distribute the assets. So let's say you had like a hundred thousand in your IRA and you invested in a piece of real estate. Um, and then you decided to live in that real estate. That is a prohibited transaction. And that would require you to distribute all hundred thousand of your IRA in the year that it's, you know, that you, that it caused the, the transaction. Now I would say that one thing that's interesting is it's not that the prohibited transactions aren't a problem in themselves and that they happen. That's a problem in of itself. The big problem is, let's say you do that. Let's say you, you live in it for a year. And then six years later, the IRS finds out. Well, it's not just that you have to take a distribution. It's you have to take a distribution, plus you have the penalties and interest for six years. You know, you do that long enough and you may have nothing left uh, out yeah. of that 100000 That's one of the problems. Okay. Um, so disqualified person is another one. Uh, that's a person that you can't do business with. So for instance, let's say uh, you are a disqualified person inside of your own IRA, so you can't do business with yourself. You can't do business with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, parents, grandparents. Those are disqualified people. It has um, to be an arm's length transaction, basically, you're saying, right? Correct, right. Arm's mm-hmm. length. Uh, you, have to treat, you have to treat the other person or party as if you didn't know them at all. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of the qualifications you have to consider with the other okay. person. The, the second part of your roadmap is to choose an investment strategy. Mm-hmm. So there are many different ones. So how do people choose? We talked before about being familiar with it yourself, but how does one choose amongst all these different options where to put your money? Yeah. And I, I think one of the dangers that most people have is they, they hear about something and they get all excited because they hear, oh, you can make 20% returns or my brother-in-law did this and they make lots of money. And they immediately just say, I'm going to do that. And I see this a lot. I, I, you know, it's funny. I had, a, um, uh, I had somebody on my show a while back and they said, oh, yeah, we can get like 20% returns from this, this type of investment. And the person got like just bombarded with listeners calling and say, oh, how do I find out more about this? How do I do this? And it's like, you know it's not the performance that matters. It's, it's how you manage the risk and understanding it. And a lot of these people had no idea what they were doing. So what I find is most appropriate is if people invest in what they know. So if you have an understanding of real estate or private company stock or widgets, or medical device equipment, tax liens, whatever it is, if you don't have one of those areas that you know really well, try to do your research on one. 
Just figure one out, figure one that seems exciting or interesting to you and just start digging in and doing the research. Don't focus on the performance first. The way that we look at investing is we have this philosophy of risk management first. Because if you do the risk management first, the performance is the easy part. Because that, that takes care of itself. But if you don't take care of the risk management, you can end up losing a lot of money. And then the performance is kind of irrelevant at that point. Your third step is to choose a custodian or administrator. Uh, so there are quite a few out there in the self-directed space. What do you look for in a good custodian or administrator? Yeah, so the the concept of custodian versus administrator is really important. Um, and I think there, there are a lot of companies out there that are promoting the idea that you should have a self-directed IRA. Many of them are what I call investment sponsors, or they're they're sponsoring an investment. They're saying, oh, we have this fund. And you should invest in it. Oh, by the way, you can use your retirement account and I'll help you set it up. Well, what is a requirement is that you use a qualified custodian. So you cannot put your IRA money in, you know, in your desk drawer, right? It has to be held at a qualified custodian. And and what is missed for a lot of people is they, they miss that step. And sometimes they end up creating a prohibited transaction because the money is not held in the right place. So it is required to use a custodian. Now, administrators are another piece of this. Now, the the regulatory environment has caused a lot of them to convert to custodians in the last few years. But, you know, what a lot of the administrators will do is they will help facilitate the transaction and they will use a custodian or a bank and and I think depending on how they do it, that can create some problems. Um, but that's that's something that you you should research. Is that is uh, we have a big list of over forty five custodians administrators that you can research yourself. There are a lot of them out there. Some are better than others, but it's really important to to do your homework when you choose the one you want to use. Is uh, fees a big differential between the different uh, custodians, or are they pretty much the same? Um, you know, what's interesting about custodians and administrators is that um, every single one of them is different. Now, if you look at like the traditional custodians, like the Schwabs, the Fidelities, the TDs, if you look at those, they're pretty much all the same, right? The trading costs are zero now. And when one went down, they all went down. So when you look at it from that perspective, they tend to mirror each other. But with the with the self-directed space, they're actually they're all different, which is really weird because you'd think that they'd all gravitate towards the best practice and they'd all compete. The problem is, is some of them specialize in real estate. Some of them specialize in private companies, you know, single or multi-member LLCs. Um, and the fee structures vary too. Some of them are transaction-based. Some of them are based on assets that you have. And some are a hybrid. And you might think, well, why would anybody pay one versus the other? Well, a lot of this comes down to the type of transactions you're doing. So if you think of it this way, let's say you're going to buy a piece, uh, let's say you're going to buy a business and you're going to buy that business and hold it for the next 20 years. Well, a transactional based custodian might be the best choice for you because that may end up being the lowest fee for you. But if you're doing, you know, like 50, 50 transactions in a month, an asset based custodian might be best because that might be the most cost effective. So you know, it's not as simple as just a transaction as buying a stock. We actually have created calculators for all these things because it is so complex in how they do their calculations. And you have all these things at innovativewealth.com. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a list on the show that people can kind of, um, can link to, to, to get access to these reports, but yeah, you can, you can go to innovativewealth.com and, and, and look them up and then, uh, there's further resources where people really want to dig in. Great. Then the fourth step is to open your account and fund it. I guess a lot of people open accounts but never fund it. Is that right? Uh, y- yeah, you'd think that that's, that's, uh, should be le- more obvious, but yeah, that actually happens a lot. So what will frequently happen is people will open up an account. Uh, they'll, get, they'll get a teaser. They'll go to some seminar and there'll be some teaser. Oh, I should invest in this. They go through all the efforts to open up an account and they fund it. Or don't fund it. Either way, they're still paying for the account once it's open. It's not like a, a brokerage account where you don't pay a fee for keeping it open. These accounts, they actually pay, they charge you to open it and they charge you quarterly or whatever their fee schedule is. And so one of the problems is people, they, they open it and then they they just get stuck because there's this process of actually having to have an investment. 
Yes. which is, is very intimidating to people, right? It's not a simple process. And once they open it, they realize like, I don't know what I'm going to invest in. And then they get overwhelmed and they shut down and then they just go on to the next thing. So yeah. it's really important to actually fund it. So there's a large it. percentage. Your fifth step is to actually decide an investment and complete the transaction, which again, sounds like something some people don't do, even though they've got money loaded, loaded up in this thing. Yeah, correct. So you have to find an investment and finalize it. So going and doing your due diligence, making sure it's a good fit. And, you know, if you look at the best venture capitalists out there, uh, they might pick one in 20 out of all of the investments they'd look at. They might, you know, get rid of 19 of them and just take one. So yeah. don't be afraid to just cut them off and just say, you know what, this isn't a good fit for me. I'm moving on. Um, make sure that you feel comfortable with it and you've done enough homework so you're, you feel good about the investment. And then your sixth and final step in the uh, IRA, self-directed IRA map is to monitor investments. So how do you do that? Yeah, so the monitoring is also important. So what ends up happening is there's, a, there's I shouldn't say there's a lot of, but every once in a while, uh, there are fraudsters out there. And they target, you know, self-directed IRA investors because the money is basically sitting in their retirement account for like 20 years. And so it's really important to monitor your investment once you actually invest in it. You want to keep up with the investment. If it's real estate, most likely you're going to be actively invested in it. Um, you know, I, I don't like the idea of being a passive investor. I think that's kind of a, you know, a false narrative. But let's just say you're investing in a company. Keep up with the company. Talk to the owners quarterly. Get their annual reports. See what's going on. But do that monitoring and making sure that the company is doing what they say they're going to do. Also, you have to consider the fact that, you know, there are things you have to do every year with your self-directed IRA to make sure that you're staying compliant. And I think a lot of people forget about that, that they just think you can just set it and forget it. And that's not always the case. So you have to make sure you're able to monitor that and make sure it's in compliance as well. What, what do you need to do every year to, to maintain it? Uh, it depends on the investment, but one of the big things is, is doing annual valuations. So every investment needs to be valued uh, minimum one time a year. And it can't be this flimsy thing. It has to be an actual valuation. Even so, if it's illiquid and you don't really can't find, I mean, a horse or something, how can you, you're not an expert in valuing these things. You have to get an expert appraisal? Uh there's a lot of nuance there, but I'll say that the simple answer is you do, you do need to get a qualified appraisal. So you need to come up with something, something that is legitimate in that industry, and it varies per asset. So there's a lot of variability there. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm. He's a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisory Group based in Lexington, Massachusetts. You can find out more about him and his firm at Innovative Wealth. Dot com. We'll be back after this. The way we're working together seems to have changed dramatically this year because of the pandemic. If there's one thing we've learned for adapting to business, it's that you must have access to the right resources. And it's crucial to have a strong digital presence, just like all the big companies do. So how can your business adapt to the unexpected and operate virtually? One key is to find the right talent quickly and easily. Before Fiverr came along, it had been a time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive way to find the best people capable of doing the jobs you need done. Fiverr offers an online marketplace which connects businesses like yours with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. That includes graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, voiceovers, and much more. I've used Fiverr several times and have been very pleased with the people it matched me with. I hired a photographer in New York who took pictures that I'm now using on my website. I found a web designer in Pakistan who designed a website that I launched. I located someone in Massachusetts to do a voiceover for a campaign that I launched. It's really amazing what talent I found on Fiverr in all of these areas. Fiverr's global network of on-demand freelance talent can help you if you're launching your first business to grow your existing business. They can help you transform your business from a brick-and-mortar local operation into a digital global one. Fiverr makes it easy to customize your search by service, deadline, price, or seller reviews. You'll know exactly what you're paying up front, no negotiating needed. You always pay by the project, not on an hourly basis. Fiverr offers 24-7 customer service to answer any questions you have about using the service. Their network of quality freelancers has worked with most the most influential brands in the world, including Netflix, PayPal, and Microsoft. 
Their freelancers are ready when you are so they can accommodate the ebb and flow of your business. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code ANSWERS. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. Again, that's F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm, Principal and Wealth Manager at Innovative Advisory Group based in Lexington, Massachusetts. His website is innovativewealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. How's it going, Jordan? So you have a long list of alternative investments, and we just want to get a sense of these things and why it makes sense as an alternative uh, for traditional investments inside a self-directed IRA. The first one is probably one of the most popular, is residential real estate. So what are the pros and cons of doing residential real estate in a a self-directed IRA? Yeah, so, you know, residential real estate is something that we all know. You know, if you don't own a property... You probably rent a property. Um, everybody has to live somewhere. So residential real estate is something that we're always going to have a need for. As long as there are people in this country, there's going to be a need for residential real estate. Now, one of the one of the benefits um, of real estate is the use of leverage. So it's one of the few assets out there that you can use leverage, and it's it's reinforced by the system, by the banks, and the government is trying to incentivize people to invest in real estate through the tax treatment that they get. So we find residential real estate to be a really good investment, but you obviously got to do your research and come up with the right property at the right price, and also you have to find tenants. I will say one thing, a lot of people think of real estate as passive. I would actually not use that lens to describe real estate because if you look at it as passive, you'll probably be disappointed. You have to look at it like an active business if you really want to be successful. How do you get a mortgage on a property inside a self-directed IRA? Uh, Not everybody uses a mortgage, but if you do have a mortgage on a property, there are banks that will lend off of that. Um, I think there are three banks out there that will lend. Um, You can also go to the private market. If if anybody's been following the um, the lending market, you realize that it's been tightening up pretty much since 2008, and yep. each year it gets harder and harder to borrow. And at some point, one of the mortgage brokers I talked to said, at some point, if you're a business owner, you probably won't get a mortgage at all. That's 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 how kind of silly it is. So the private market is going to start expanding. And there's plenty of money out there, people looking to lend. So, and you have a lot of these crowd for, crowdfunding sites. You've got um, 
you got hard money lenders. There's always access to capital. It's just what price you're going to pay for it. But typically, the average person uh, buying a home or property all cash makes is the easiest thing to do inside a self-directed IRA. And then the rental income you get just keeps compounding inside that IRA. You can invest it in other things. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. I mean, if you're if you're paying all cash, you're just you're creating more cash flow. Um, you don't get the benefits of leverage, so your returns might be a little bit lower. Depends on what the numbers look like. But um, I think just like anything else, whether you use whether you use this inside of an IRA or out, you still have to do the, you still have to run the numbers to see whether it makes sense to use a mortgage. Yeah. The next one is commercial real estate. Now, particularly in the current environment where people aren't going to work and a lot of retail stores are closing, has that changed the attractiveness of commercial real estate? It depends on your perspective. Um, I would say right now commercial real estate is probably not the best place to be. Um, I know a lot of people who work at uh, commercial, some of the big commercial real estate research firms, and the trends are, are pretty pretty obvious. They're going against you know, commercial real estate. So I would not be an owner of commercial real estate at this point. I think there will be a time to invest in it. And my whole philosophy is, because I think a lot of people look at assets and they say, oh, that's a good asset or that's a bad asset. There are no good or bad assets. There are only good or bad prices. So if you look at commercial real estate, you might say, well, you know, it's trending down. People don't want, you know, to rent office space. Well, if you get at the right price, it's going to be worth it. You just have to be patient and find something that makes sense for you. Because there will still be people who need commercial real estate. Prices have come down, but you don't think they've come down enough to make it compelling is what you're saying. Not for me. No, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't, the, the problem I see with commercial real estate is, is the trend is, is away from commercial real estate, but we don't know where that trend stops. Because what COVID has done is basically accelerated every single trend that was already in existence. It just yeah. accelerated it quite a bit. So if you kind of look forward and say, what's going to happen from here? Well, there are still going to be companies that still need office space. There just won't be as many of them. So maybe we've overbuilt commercial office space. We don't know. And I think we're going to find out. And I, I don't need to pick the bottom. I would just rather pick it when it's on the uptrend and not the downtrend. And then industrial real estate is the next one. Now, in many cases, industrial real estate has actually done pretty well, uh, particularly, for example, warehouses that are being used to ship packages. Are there parts of industrial real estate that make sense these days? Yeah, actually, industrial space has been doing well for a while, and um, recently industrial space has done better uh, in part because, like you said, warehouses are doing well, storage, uh, manufacturing, since, you know, the trade war and all that, you know, people are bringing their manufacturing back on shore. So those are the areas that are really, uh, I would say, kind of the areas to focus on. The problem with industrial properties is if you don't know what you're doing, it's a lot more complex. So you either need to invest in it through a fund or a REIT or, you know, find somebody who knows what they're doing because that's the complexity is it's a little bit more complex in the industrial side than the others. But that is where the trend is going. The trend is going on the industrial side. I assume those would be pretty high ticket items too. You're not going to get an industrial piece of property for $10,000 or something. You need millions to make that happen, right? Not necessarily. I've got some properties around here, uh, two towns over. There's office space. I'm sorry, not office space, warehouse space. It's basically just vacant land. You could pop up a, a warehouse pretty cheaply and it, it wouldn't cost you much at all. There are plenty of ways to do it. Uh, it just depends if you're buying something that already exists or whether you're creating it. But yeah, there, there are plenty of ways to look at the, you know, to look at the equation. So another real estate related one is tax liens where people haven't paid their property taxes and liens placed on their house and sold by the municipality. What is the advantage of doing something like that? Is this a good time to do that in a self-directed IRA? I have to say tax liens is by far and away one of my most favorite asset classes. And here's why I love it. A tax lien is basically a lien on a property. So you think of a mortgage. A mortgage is a lien on a property. It's voluntary. You decided to take a mortgage out, so you borrowed money. A tax lien is basically money you still owe to your government. So you should have paid your property taxes, and let's say you forgot, you didn't have the money, whatever it is. Well, the government is going to assess a lien on your property, and the lien is for the amount that's owed, and then they charge based on uh, state regulations. They have a, an interest rate. 
Now, depending on the state, could be 12, 16, 18% or higher. Um, every state's different in how they have the, this laid out. But effectively, these liens have to be paid back. And at some point, so in my state, the government just sits on it and they get there, I think it's 16%. You go to a state like Florida, they get 18%. But so many people, with because they're snowbirds, so many people don't pay their taxes on time that they need the money to do their to fund their operations. So what they'll do is they'll actually auction off these liens to other people. So they would auction off to you or me. So I would get that 18% and I would, I would make really good interest on my money. And the best part is, is they take priority over every other lien, except for an IRS uh, lien, but everything else, it takes priority. So even if they have, it's a hundred thousand dollar property with a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, your lien still is ahead of that. So you get paid back first. So tax liens from a risk reward standpoint are always top of the heap for me. I love them. The downside of it is right now there are too many people who know what they're, who, you know, these things are online auctions now. So it's really easy for everyone to get involved and that drives the yields down. So they're not as attractive. There are attractive, there are ways to get attractive yields in them. You just have to be a little bit more creative. So what would be a resource for people to find out more legitimate? Because there's a lot of not so legitimate places in the tax lien space. What are some legitimate resources to help people get involved in that if they're interested? Um, it's really hard. I, you know, there's some good books out there, although they're a little bit dated. Um, and there's some people I know that are that are um, the tax lien lady. I know her. She's a good resource. There's there's a bunch of people out there that are that are doing it. I would say if you want to go, if you want to get the real information, you just go to the state. The state has all their all their documentation online on how to do it. And if you go direct to the municipality, they're going to pretty much give you all of the details anyway. It's much better to go direct than to go through some third party that you're getting a secondary lien. You, you may get a bad lien. Um, it's, it's much better to go direct if you, unless you know what you're doing, in which case you can get some better deals if you kind of go on the secondaries. One thing about tax lien, you never know when you're going to get paid or if you're going to get your principal paid back. It could be a day, it could be a year, it could be two years. You don't have predictability of cash flow. Is that correct? Correct. You don't have predictability cash flow because the way that works is, let's say you let's say you buy like a thousand dollar lien, and you pay a thousand dollars, and let's say it's accruing at eighteen percent a year. Well, you're going to get eighteen percent a year, but it might be six years before the lien actually gets paid off, or it could be paid off in two days. You don't have control over that. What you do have control over is if they don't pay you back within a certain amount of time, you can you can quote unquote foreclose. Well, all you really are doing is you're notifying the other lien holders that you're going to foreclose and they will actually pay you off. So if you wanted to get paid back quicker, you could do that because effectively they're not going to let a $100,000 mortgage go for a $1,000 lien. They'll just pay right. you off and they'll move on. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm, Principal and Wealth Manager at Innovative Advisory Group based in Lexington, Massachusetts. His website is InnovativeWealth.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Chisholm, Principal and Wealth Manager at Innovative Advisory Group. His website, innovativewealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. 
Thanks, Jordan. So you actually have a list of the different alternative investments. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. Give people the link, and we also have this described in the video description of how they can find uh, the list of these alternative investments. Yeah, the best way to get the invest uh, the list is you go to innovativewealth.com forward slash money answers. Innovativewealth.com slash money answers. Very good. All right, let's go through some of these quickly. So private mortgages is the next one. How does that work? So private mortgages is another favorite of mine. So if you think about a mortgage, right, you own a house, you have a mortgage on it, you're basically borrowing money from the bank. And right now interest rates are, let's say, 3%. You know, they vary depending on when, when, when you're talking about it and, you're in, and you're, your uh, credit rating. But private mortgage is a little different. So if you think about people in the real estate space, let's say there's a developer or somebody's doing a fix and flip or even, a, even an investor. They're not getting the residential real estate rates. They're not getting the three percent. They might get five, seven, ten, depending on what they're doing. Um, so a private mortgage is basically it's an ability for you to lend somebody money backed by real estate. So whatever they're doing, whether it's development or fix and flip, you're you're letting them borrow money, and your security is the property. So let's say they let's say they borrow the money and then they screw it up. Well, you can foreclose and you own the property. Now, if you look at it that way, the worst case scenario is you own the property. If you go in with that worst case scenario in mind and think, all right, I'm going to loan money because I'm going to get this property. And if you do, you won't be disappointed. And if you don't, then you would have gotten your, your, your interest rate and you can move on. So for me, if you do it right, it's one of my favorite asset classes because it's not a long-term hold. You don't need to fix toilets and fix roofs. It's really simple and it's just paper. There's a whole other category, which are rights, water rights, fishing rights, airspace rights, mineral rights, and cell tower rights, basically. How, how do those work, and why are those good to have in a self-directed IRA? Yeah, so if you have, let's say you own a piece of land, right? And with every piece of land that you have, you'll have, based on the state regulations around this, you're going to have water rights or you know, mineral rights, everyone has these airspace rights that comes with every property that everybody owns. Now, it may not be applicable for everybody, but let's take airspace rights. Now, if you have a house, airspace rights are probably not a big deal. Um, but if you live in a city, let's say you live in New York and you, you, want, you don't want somebody to build a building in front of your view of Central Park, then it would be helpful to own the airspace rights of the neighboring buildings so you can force them to not uh, build higher than what your view is. So airspace rights are more important in a city. Um, then you have fishing rights, you know, places like Alaska, you have to basically buy access to fishing rights to go fish. Um, but all of these things are, are, are basically just, you know, rights that you can acquire. And it's just like a business, just like, you know, having a business and getting licensed. It's, it's kind of the same thing. Another uh, alternative investment is private company stock. These are stocks that have not gone public yet. Uh, what's the advantage of having those in a self-directed IRA? Yeah, so private company stock, if you think about public stock, right? Let's say you're buying one of the FANG stocks. And at one, of, at one point in time, those FANG stocks were, no, were not public. They were private. And just think if you could have owned those when they were private. They'd be worth a lot more now. So there's really no difference in public and private stocks in a significant way. Um, one of the differences is at an earlier stage, obviously there's more upside, but then there's more risk. So you have to weigh whether the risk is worth the reward. And as I mentioned earlier, you look at these private investors that are professional like venture capitalists or, um, or private equity or angel investors, they might get one in 20 right. So don't just think because you have access to some private company that all of a sudden it's going to turn into the, into the next FANG stock. Um, it can happen, but you also have to have the expectation that this is very illiquid. You can't sell it. And you have to buy into this. So you need to do a lot of research up front because you have to assume that it's not going to get sold for 20 years. Then there are kind of physical things like wine, coins, stamps, uh, antique cars. Uh, why does it make sense to hold those in a self-directed IRA? Well, you can't actually. Um, so the, one of the, some of the restrictions in self-directed IRAs is you can't own S-Corps. You cannot own collectibles and you can't own life insurance. So things like wine, you can't own wine, 
you might be able to own a wine company, but you can't own wine. So there's there's a lot of um, caveats in here that you have to kind of like think through. Um, but I know people that invest in wine, not at an IRA, but they are professional investors and they know wine very well. Or artwork is another one. Some people might know well. You just have to understand whether it can be held in an IRA because a lot of these, a lot of these quote unquote collectibles can't, but there might be ways to do it depending on how it's structured. So we have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of sum up uh, why people should do a self-directed IRA uh, for alternative investments as opposed to the traditional uh, route of just stocks, bonds, and funds? Yeah, I, I think it's really important that people just understand that they can. It's, it's, it's important that people are thinking outside the box. I mean, look, the market right now is extremely overvalued, I think, by almost any measure. And you could argue that point, but the reality is most people are afraid that the stock market is is pretty much peaking or at least getting into like a 1999 kind of scenario where it goes up a lot and then it just crashes. I think we're all kind of waiting for that to happen. A lot of the professionals are. But... Um, you know, at some point there'll be a correction and a lot of people are looking for options outside of the stock market. And self-directed IRAs are one way to invest outside the market. It's always best to invest in what you know. And if you don't have anything you know, find a professional that does have an expertise in these areas so they can help guide you. Because, you know, if you're, if you're, if you have the philosophy of what I call the buy and hope strategy, you buy a mutual fund or you buy a stock and you hope it goes up, that's not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Find an investment that makes sense for you, whether it's an alternative or traditional. We don't, we're unbiased. We don't look at one versus the other as being better or worse. We just think that a good investment is a good investment. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kirk Chisholm. He's a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisory Group based in Lexington, Massachusetts. You can find out more at his website, innovativewealth.com. And he's got a list of the alternative investments at InnovativeWealth.com slash Money Answers. Thanks so much for being a great show and the Money Answer, a great guest on the Money Answers show, Kirk. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answers show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.